uh, with godly adults to give opportunities for that are huge. And so uh, thank you for putting that on. And I know our girls were really blessed by it. So that being said, um, just so everybody's clear, we don't have youth tonight. Last night was in lieu of tonight. And then next week we'll start back again with our Sunday night from 5 to 7 for our youth gathering. And then um, our second announcement is that October 3rd, we're planning to have our annual fall get-together, and that will be at the Pursley's, and I believe we're going to have some chili, and we're going to have a bonfire, and we're just going to hang out, not just the youth, but the adults as well, and uh, if you need instructions on how to get to the Pursley's house, um, there are instructions printed on the back table for you, and if they're kind of confusing and you need some clarification, let us know. Uh, the Pursley's will be happy to give you directions. Um, and then October 17th, that is a Saturday night, and I didn't pick the night. Um, I know that it's fall festival, um, but I know at the same time that um, Daniel Messiah will be coming, and his name is Daniel Messiah because he is a Muslim whose name previously was Muhammad because he was born in Egypt into a Muslim family. He became a Christian in the 80s. He actually spent jail time for becoming a believer in the 80s in Egypt, and so he's going to come and share testimony, but his ministry is called Open the Gates. Uh, Open the Gates is a ministry where they, um, they actually share the gospel with the Muslim world in the 1040 window. And they actually have a satellite station where they send out uh, Bible teaching from scripture uh, to those nations where you can't necessarily go as uh, open missionaries. So Daniel is now uh, headquartered in North Carolina. He'll be flying out on a Friday night or a, I think on a Friday morning maybe he's going to Woodlawn Chapel which is our sister church in Charleston Illinois I will pick him up on Saturday and then he will speak here on Saturday night at 630 and then he will immediately after that go to Farmington and speak Sunday morning at Parkland Chapel so it's kind of a neat way for us to be able to receive him to hear him speak and and then also we support open the gates ministries um, to the Muslim world. And so uh, what he will share with us is that all over the Muslim world, there is revival taking place. And uh, those who used to follow in darkness, the Muslim religion are now having their eyes open. Many of them actually seeing visions and dreams and Jesus is revealing himself to them personally. And that's Daniel's story because no one was sharing the gospel in his country. God, by his spirit, revealed Jesus to them personally. And so, um, you know, anyway, all that to say, he will be speaking October 17th at 6.30. So turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 5 this morning. Adam's ancestry. Now, if you've ever uh, ventured to read the Bible, if you've ever ventured to go through what Scripture has to say and you want to read the whole thing, the first place you might be tempted to get bogged down is the genealogies because none of us are interested in whose grandpas, cousins, brothers, uncles, unless it involves them, right? Like we don't ever care about your genealogy unless my name's involved in it or great uncle Harry or whatever. And so as we read the genealogical record in Genesis 5, until we get to a portion where we know a name or we might be related, uh, we're not really that excited. And yet, in Adam's ancestry, we are all related. So we should all have our interests piqued. We should all be excited. We all descended 
from Adam. And yet our inheritance from Adam is sin. That's what he offers us. Not a 401k, not a life insurance policy, uh, sin. He, uh, by the Spirit, he, we know that he was actually um, tempted to sin. Um, he knew the difference between right and wrong. His wife Eve was deceived and she took and ate of the fruit. Adam then was told by his wife, you eat it too. You can't leave me alone in this. And then he ate it. And then he knew it was right or wrong. And so because of that, sin entered the world. And because of that, we have so much going on in our world today that is because of sin entering through one transgression. And yet in this genealogy, I want to remind you that Adam had two sons, Cain and Abel, that we looked at last week. And yet it says in the genealogical record that he had another, Seth. But in the process of time, he also had many more children that are not mentioned. And you would ask, why aren't they all in there? Well, because we wouldn't have a book big enough to carry it around. He lived 930 years. There is no doubt he had lots of children. You know, and so with that being said, the line, the lineage, the genealogy is all the genealogy that's going to ultimately lead to, in the New Testament, Jesus Christ. That's the point of the genealogies. Hope I don't have to say that again this morning. The genealogies in the book of Genesis. And so this morning as we begin, in Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, it says, This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them, male and female, and he blessed them and called them mankind in the day that they were created. So think about this. Adam was created in whose likeness? He was created in God's likeness. And yet what we're going to find out is that he created him very more specifically to be male and female, equal and yet opposing pieces of what Adam originally was. Adam was formed from the dust. God breathed into him the breath of life. And when he did that, Adam was a living being. And yet when he found that there was no partner for him in life, no co-responder, he was alone in the world apart from his relationship with God. What God did was the first surgery. He put him to sleep and he pulled out of his side the woman, Eve. And so from one becomes two. And when marriage happens, they become one flesh again. And yet what we want to point, what I want to point out is that this isn't the first time that God mentions this. He mentions it in chapter one, where it says God on the sixth day created man. Then in chapter two, he mentions again that he formed Adam more specifically how he did it. But then from Adam, he formed Eve. And so the third time here in Genesis chapter five, he's re recounting something he's already told. And so as he recounts this, he re-emphasizes this point that man was made in the image of God. You bear the image of God. Does that mean you look like him? No. That means that you have a nature like him. You have free will to make decisions like God. And so in the same token, you have body, soul, and spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so these, this three person, and yet in one, we have this. And so God created them male and female. Notice that the list stops there. Male, female. 
No pronouns, no other thoughts, male and female. God created them in his image. He made them male and female. And then God blessed them. He put his seal of blessing upon this creation. And then he called them mankind. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And so, verse 3 says this, And Adam lived 130 years, and begot a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. Now we already read that. That's how chapter 4 ended. If you look at verse 25 of chapter 4, it says, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born and named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. And so as a part of this multiplication, we have also this line of Seth calling on the name of the Lord. So God created Adam in his likeness. Adam begot a son in his own likeness. So like God is a father of humanity. He is the father of humanity. And yet because of that, in the likeness of God, Adam multiplies after his own kind. Adam is not a god. He is a man. He's from mankind. So he creates men. But God creates, right? He forms something from nothing. What do we do? We form something out of something. We're going to build a house. We have to get materials that were already created to build something. And yet within Adam is the potential for life if used properly. And so in the ways that God made man and woman, he made them to be able to be fruitful and multiply. Any union that's not God-ordained cannot be fruitful and multiply. It's against the command of God, actually. Romans 1, if you want to check it out. God made man and woman to be together so they can multiply. And if your relationship cannot multiply, then it's not one that's been blessed by God. And so Adam begot a son in his image. Now, the problem here is that when God made man, it was a good thing. And yet when God, excuse me, when Adam begets a son in his own likeness, is it a good thing? Well, it is because it fulfills the command of God to master, manage, and multiply. But in some ways, it's not good because Adam passes down to every one of his offspring what? Sin, brokenness, the fall. And so we have a sin problem. And so because of that, Adam became a father like God, his father before him. But what we find out in Psalm chapter 51, uh, David's psalm of repentance after his infamous time with Bathsheba is that in Psalm 51, verse 5, David declares this in his repentance. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. He wasn't saying that he was brought forth because of an adulterous relationship. What he was saying is that I was conceived in iniquity, and in sin my mother brought me forth because of 
her own sin nature, we can only reproduce after our own kind. So when your children are born, they immediately are sinners because they have sin intrinsically in their nature. You don't have to teach children to say, mine, or no. You, you don't have to teach them to be selfish. They are born that way. They're born thinking that the world revolves around them. That's the intrinsic sin within them. And so we can argue when the age of accountability comes up, but people are born natural sinners. They're born of their father, the first Adam. And so God recognizes this. And if you want to see the pattern, look at Genesis, the few chapters we've already studied, and look at this. God wants us to understand that everything in all of creation reproduces after their own kind. So an apple tree reproduces what? Apple trees. And it says in Genesis chapter 1 that each tree bore seed and reproduced after its own kind. Again, when you fast forward to the animals, it says each animal reproduces after its own kind. It, if you got a dog, it has a dog, its own kind. So mankind, Adam kind, Adam means man, reproduces after his own kind. And so an apple tree produces apples. Birds reproduce and have birds. Apes will never produce humans because that's not their kind. They would be crossing across kind boundaries. Now, within the human race, we have different races, right? Within ape kind, there's different types of apes. There's different types of monkeys within monkey kind. I don't know how to distinguish other than size and a couple of attributes, but the idea is like we started with dogs, right? And we have all these different types of breeds, and now they're so, some of them are so crossbred that they, you know, you can't kill them, and some of them are so inbred that, that, that they die because of natural born diseases because there's no branches on their trunk. But my point is within kind, they never cross. They can't. God made it that way. But Jesus used this principle to talk about mankind in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. Matthew 7, 16 says this about mankind. You will know them by their fruits. He says, do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree cannot excuse me, a bad tree bears bad fruit. Good, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. And of course, he's talking about those who produce sin or sinful life versus those who live righteously. The fruit of your life produces, excuse me, proves the root of your life. And so all that to say, we have a sin problem. So verse 4, we go on to talk about the perpetuation of Adam's family. Not the Adam's family, do, 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 but Adam's family. So verse 3, we'll begin there. Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image, named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years, and he had sons and daughters. 
excuse me, verse 5. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. After he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Seeing a pattern? Enosh lived 99, excuse me, 90 years, begot Kenan. After he begot Kenan, Enosh lived 815 years, had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. <clears throat> so you get the pattern, right? So I'm not going to read all of those because my voice will go away, and you'll fall asleep, and nobody wants that. But I am going to go further. So we have Enosh, who begot Kenan. Kenan begot Mahalalel. Mahalalel begot Jared. Jared begot Enoch. And then stop there. Verse 20, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. And he begot Methuselah. Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Whoa, wait a minute. Something's different here. E and he died is not in this obituary. I'm reading all of these, by the way, and I'm not reading about their life. To me, these are all obituaries. I've been to two memorials this week. <clears throat> Excuse me. I went to two memorials this week, and I've got one coming up Monday. So it's like death is ramping up in my life. And I happen to notice as I'm studying this week that every one of these lives except for one says, and he died. And he died. And he died. And he died. But before that, it says they lived so many years. They begot a firstborn son. And of course, that's when it says then they lived uh, so many more years and had sons and daughters. And then it says, and he died, all except Enoch. So let's go on, and we'll come back to Enoch. Verse 25, Methuselah lived 187 years, begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years, had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. By the way, Bible trivia, oldest living man in the Bible. Verse 28, Lamech lived 182 years, had a son, and called his name Noah. Ooh, that piques my interest. I know that name. Saying, this one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years, had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years. And he died. And Noah was 500 years old. And Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So, all of these have the and he died built into their obituary, except for Enoch. And then Noah doesn't quite get there till chapter 6. So I want to turn really quickly to Romans chapter 5. And you'll find some verses that we read in the last couple of weeks. But I want to highlight them once again to talk about the sin problem. See, God said to Adam, 
that on the day that he ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that he would, what? Die. So did he die immediately when he ate the fruit? No. So it would seem like, pragmatically, no big deal. I ate the fruit, and it didn't really happen. Can I really trust God? And the reality is that the death he was talking about wasn't immediately physical death, although eventually it would lead to physical death. I don't believe that we were actually made to die. I believe that we were made to live forever in communion with God. And yet because of the eating of the fruit, and he died became a regular phrase. But in Romans chapter 5, verse 14, it says there, Nevertheless, death reigned. So in verse 12, he says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread. Boy, that sounds like a familiar word right now. Death spread. The spread. Contact tracing. So we can contact trace our death all the way back to a man by the name of Adam. So who were you in contact with that's given you this pandemic that will cause you death? And I'm not going to blame anybody I live close to except Adam. Adam was the beginning of the contact tracing. And so here we have, he says, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Stop blaming Adam. Stop blaming the person closest to you. Don't contract, contact trace your sin and your sinful lifestyle to your parents, to your siblings, to your neighbor. Start blaming yourself because it says here, all sinned. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of Adam's transgression, who is a type of him who was to come. But then go down to verse 17. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, which will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. And so hold your finger there because we're going to come back to Romans 5. But in Genesis 5, as we continue, here's what we find out. That not only does the genealogy lead us to Jesus, it also has a message hidden in it. If you got the decoder ring of Hebrew. So if you look at the names, Adam, Seth, Enosh, and Kenan. Adam means man. Seth means the appointed one. Enosh means death and sorrow. So appointed, man appointed to death and sorrow is the sentence you come up with. Mahalalel means blessed God. Jared means to descend or shall come down. Enoch means anointed and teaching. And we'll find out that the life of Enoch actually was encapsulated by proclaiming the truth about judgment and about righteousness. So Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. Methuselah means his death will bring. Lamech means those who have tasted despair. And Noah means comfort and rest. So read the whole message. Man, appointed to death and sorrow. Blessed God shall come down anointed 
and teaching. We see Jesus in that. He came down. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He was chosen, and he taught with parables. He revealed the Father, and his death will bring those who have tasted despair comfort and rest. Jesus' death will bring comfort and rest to those who have tasted in despair. So the bad news and the good news wrapped up in just these names. I believe that heaven is going to be filled with not Bible study where you're sitting there going, man, I'm tired. I believe that God's going to reveal to us what we thought we knew about Scripture and so much more. If you read the book of John at the very end, it says that John wrote down, he said, I've written all these things down so that you might believe in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he said, so many more miracles that he performed that if I wrote them all down, we wouldn't have enough book or volume to encapsulate everything that he did. So I believe that heaven is going to be like this never-ending cycle of worship and God revealing more of himself to us and us praising him for all eternity. So all of that being said, rather than the obituary, what we find out is that Jesus' obituary leads to comfort and rest, and of course, the resurrection. So fast forward to verse 21 through 24. I said we would get to Enoch. The life of Enoch is a life of pro proclamation. Notice that his obituary, if you want to call it that, because he never died, it says that he lived so many years, uh, Genesis chapter 5, got my finger stuck there like I told you guys to do, but I'm not that coordinated. So Genesis chapter 5, it says, Enoch lived 65 years, and he begot a son by the name of Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years, had sons and daughters, so all the days of Enoch were 365 years. So he lived so many years, and he begot a firstborn son by the name of Methuselah. How many of you guys listen to country in the 90s? Walking to Jerusalem, marching with Methuselah. That's what it makes me think of. Sorry. Reading signs in Arabic, raving like a lunatic. I'll stop there. But notice that it doesn't say that he lived many more years. What it says is that he had one son, Methuselah, and then he lived many years, begot sons and daughters, and then he lived a total of 365 years. Notice that it's way shorter than all the other lifespans. Do you notice that? These guys are living eight, some of them 700 and something years, 800 years, 900 years. And yet Enoch was cut off, it might seem in his generation, before his time. Who else was cut off early? Uh, Jesus? He lived 33 years. Every year past 33, I look at it like this, I got more years than Jesus. What am I going to do with them? And so he walked with God 300 years is what it says. He begot sons and daughters. He lived a total of 365 years, and instead of saying he died, it reemphasizes the point that Enoch walked with God. What was the earmark? What was the epitaph you would put on his headstone? He walked with God. And you might say, big stinking deal. I've accomplished things. I've got children. 
I had a business. I want to be a ball player. I have these aspirations. And what the Bible is teaching us here is that this man's earmark for his life was that he walked with God. And as a result of his walking with God, he didn't die. He lived. He never perished. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but instead would have everlasting life. So he walked with God and he was not, for God took him. I think that's a very creative way that, to say that God took him. He no longer existed, and yet he eternally exists. And what it says here is that he walked with God instead of living many years. And you might say, well, that's the same thing. You can live many years and still walk with God, right? Well, my Bible teaches that if anyone would follow after Jesus, he must first deny himself, take up his cross, which is a death instrument, take up the death of Jesus, and then truly live. You cannot live and have eternal life. Jesus and Paul both teach that in order to fully live, we must lay down our life, die to ourselves, and let Christ live through us, which as I grow in that is the most painful and yet satisfying death. Because there are weeks where I serve God wholeheartedly, and at the end of the week, if I'm not careful, I start to despise what I had to give up in order to do what he gave me to do instead. And yet at the end of it, what I find out is on the weeks that I live fully for me, that it's not satisfying. And yet when I fully give my life to Christ, it feels like death. And at the same time, I know there's a reward. Does that make sense? If it doesn't, then you don't know Jesus. And if it does, then you're striving for that. And so all of that to say is that when Enoch walked with God, he didn't live many years in the die. He walked with God and then he was not, for God took him from this life of the fall. And in John, in chapter 12, of course, the writer John does a little better job encapsulating this idea. John 12, verse 25 the writer John, the Apostle John, says, He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. If anyone loves his life, and in Philippians chapter 2, Paul catches this same theme and he says, Jesus, being fully God, did not see it as worthy to keep a grasp on his own life, but instead he gave it up, left heaven, came down to be among us, and laid down his life for our sake. And so in like manner, he says here in John chapter 12, he who loves his life, who holds on to it as if it's his own most dear possession, will lose it eternally. And yet, if you will lose your life for the sake of Jesus, not to prove yourself to him, but to willingly offer it up as a burnt offering to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't want to live with my life anymore. I want you to live through me. Then you'll give it up, but you'll gain it for eternal sake. 
and you'll spend eternity with him. He says, if anyone serves me, if anybody walks with me, dwells with me, let him follow me. Following is the idea of walking daily, daily being where Jesus is. He says, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If you say you follow Jesus, you're going to be where Jesus is. You're going to be with his people. You're going to be where he's at work. You're going to be with him wherever he is. There you will be also. But that's in this life, right? If you will serve him and walk with him daily, what will happen is you'll be with him eternally. Where he is, you will be also. What's funny is the disciples, when Jesus said to them, where I am going, you cannot yet go. But I go to prepare a place. And they reasoned within themselves, where's he going to go that we can't go with him? Some of them actually thought he was going to commit suicide, by the way. That it was too much for him and he was going to take his own life. I'm going to die. You're not going to be able to go with me. But what Jesus was saying is where I'm going, you cannot yet go. He was telling them, you're going to have to pass through death in order to get to life. And so all that to said, Enoch walked with God and that's where he found his life. And so, what does walking with God look like? Well, let's look at the Bible, what the Bible has to say about Enoch, because all we have from the genealogy here is that he walked with God and then he was not. And I don't know that I can take a whole lot from that, apart from a little more commentary, like give us something, Lord. So in Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 5, here's what it says. By faith... So number one, Enoch lived by faith. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, so that's what we need to learn about, right? Not about after he was taken. I need to know what to do here because I'm still here. I wasn't taken yet. Before he was taken, he had this testimony. He had this life that was spoken of that he pleased God. So verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that, number one, that he exists, and number two, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. For those of you that are diligently seeking the Lord, and you feel like, I know God says he'll work, and yet I'm getting worn out in the seeking him, what I want to remind you of is that God has promised to reward those who diligently seek him. But you cannot lose heart yet. A farmer goes and sows seed, and yet he has to wait for the har harvest to come up. But he cannot lose heart. He has to continue doing the things that a farmer does, waiting for the harvest. But then turn to the right, just a few books, past James and Peter, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, to Jude. In verse 14, because Jude was short-winded and he only had one chapter. So in Jude chapter, excuse me, verse 14, it says this, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. What men? We'll go back to verse 12. He's talking about ungodly. He's talking about those that Enoch was prophesying against because as you live for God what it does is it reveals righteous living but it also points out unrighteous living 
straightly because of how you live, it brings conviction to the world that there is righteousness, that there is a righteous standard. Verse 8 says, "Dreamers, these dreamers defile the flesh. They reject authority. They speak evil of those who are over them. Verse 10, but these speak evil of what they do not know. Whatever they know naturally, they live like brute beasts. In these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They've run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit. They perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feast, church. They feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They're selfish. They're clouds without water. They're carried about by the winds. Late autumn trees without fruit. Twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea. They foam with their own shame. Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch. So he's describing in the midst of ungodliness. We looked at this genealogy and he died. They lived and then they died. They lived and then they died. They lived, they had kids and then they died. I think that we have this idea that life is about living, having kids and dying. And it is not, church. Life is short. It's hard. God gives kids, don't get me wrong, gives us families but life is about walking with god knowing him and making him known the way that enoch made him known is that he preached against unrighteousness enoch the seventh from adam prophesied about these men saying behold the lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He preached against ungodliness, revealing that there is a judgment that will come in his day. And we, as Christians, are supposed to live righteously, but we are also to proclaim to the ungodly Judgment's coming. So for the believer, judgment coming should cause us to live righteously and to repent of sin, keeping short accounts with God. To the non-believer, it should quicken them to the fact that this life is not all there is, and there is a coming judgment, so they better get ready for it. Repent and believe in Jesus. So he proclaimed this against all ungodliness. But how else did he proclaim this? He named him his son Methuselah. And you might say, big deal. He picked out a name from a name book. He really liked the way it sounded. Thought his son would be able to pick up girls because he's got a cool name. But no, Methuselah means his death will bring. Bring what? Something's coming. I don't know about you, but that piques my interest. Well, we find from the book that we just read in Genesis 5 that it, his death would bring rest and comfort. And on the year that Methuselah died, by the way, is when the flood, the worldwide flood came. Noah was born, called by God to make this ark that would lift up. So when the flood comes, it's good news for the godly because the godly will have heeded the words of Noah, gotten on a boat. The world flood would lift them up above judgment. 
in the ark. And yet to those that have rejected the preaching of Noah, they would be overrun by the flood. So for the righteous, the death of Methuselah brings rest. For the unrighteous, the death of Methuselah brings judgment for the wicked. And the flood will lift believers, but bury those who reject God's salvation. The only way to be saved, the boat. So what's our job? To proclaim that there is a boat, and we need to get as many people on it as possible so that they might be saved. Now, I also want to point out that as God is preaching unrighteous, the unrighteous will be judged at the death of Methuselah. I want to point out that Methuselah, God is patient. Methuselah, can you imagine? Somebody names their kid, his death will bring, and everybody's like, every time Methuselah gets a cough or starts to look a little haggard, you're going, uh-oh, Methuselah's about to die and it's coming, right? But the reality is, is that Methuselah lived longer than any person in the Bible that we have record of. 969 years. Our God is a God that will judge, and yet he's patient, and he gives as long as possible before he does it. He's not willing, 2 Peter 3, 9, that any should perish. But he's also not slack concerning his promise of judgment. His will is that all men would be coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and being saved. So God's grace in Enoch's life can be found there I finally got there in Romans. By now I've already taken my thumb out because I didn't heed my own advice. Romans chapter 5 and verse 20. Romans 5. Do, do. Verse 20. The law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Enoch is an example of that. And if you turn with me to Titus in chapter 2, in verse 11, it says this. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. He's purifying his own special people. And yet knowing the judgment of God is coming. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, see, Enoch becomes a type of the church that will, in the midst of unrighteousness, be raptured by God himself before the tribulation period that we studied in Revelation. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 Paul writes about this, and he says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died before you in the Lord, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and then he rose again, even so God will bring with him 
those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, that by the word of the Lord, that we are, who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Those who have died before us will go first, for the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise up from the grave first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And there's that idea again, walking with God, being with God. If you're not walking with God right now, if you're not walking with God in the here and now, what makes you think you would enjoy it for eternity? I always marvel at those who believe that they're going to go and be with God, and yet they don't want to be with Him now. Why would you want that? It sounds like a horrible eternity if the life that you live on this earth is one where you want nothing to do with God. You don't want His presence in your life. But then he says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. And I wonder if Methuselah, his son, had any sort of idea of how he could comfort and bring comfort, knowing that his, God, his dad walked with God and then he was taken from him by God. I wonder if that changed the way that Methuselah lived. So I, I guess I want to end on this question. Is there more to your genealogy than begats. Now, that's not a word we use. We think of gats and we think of guns, right? Maybe, maybe not. Like a gat in the hood? No? None of you are gangster rappers, apparently. Whatever. Is there more to your genealogy than begats? Is there more to your genealogy than just having kids living and dying? What will your obituary say? Will it say, he or she lived, he or she multiplied, lived some more for this life, and then died? Or will it say, he or she lived, they walked with God and believed Jesus Christ, they multiplied after their kind, not the kind after the flesh, after sin, but after righteousness, and multiplied as a walker with God, and then was not, for God took him or her, which one will it say? I've been to two funerals this week, and by God's grace, there were two funerals that said so-and-so was born, they walk with God, and now they're not. And when I saw them the last time, they said, see you later. Rest and comfort come from that. That's your genealogy. You can bring rest and comfort. Rest and comfort can be received here and now in the waiting if you decide to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and walk with Jesus. And Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. For I am lowly and gentle. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He doesn't say that you're, you'll be burdenless. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I don't know about you guys, but there are days where I'm overwhelmingly burdened. And I know many of you are right now because of the circumstances you're trying to walk in. Don't walk them alone. Walk with Jesus. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. 
He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. And so all of that is something that it's not just a song. These aren't just verses. He wants to walk with you. What did he tell his disciples? Last thing he told them before he ascended into heaven, just like Enoch ascended into heaven, just like Elijah ascended into heaven. The last words that Jesus said to his disciples is he said, go, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I will be with you even until the end of the age. He's with us, Emmanuel. Are you with him? So Lord Jesus, we thank you for the genealogies. We thank you for this righteous heritage we've been given. For those of us who are walking with you, we thank you for the testimony of Enoch. Lord, that we could walk with you all the days of our lives that our children wouldn't just walk and live and eat and drink and be married. Romans even says in chapter 14 that, that the kingdom of God is not about meat nor drink, but it's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. May that be what we pass on in, as an inheritance to our kin. Father, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. And for those of us that, that are not walking with you, and that one day we will just die. That's, that's it. Lord, I pray that there would be a longing, a desire, an openness to confess and repent and believe Jesus. For truly, when we believe Jesus, we will have to give up our life, but we gain so much more. And I don't know about these here, but I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul, and I don't want that for my kids, and I don't want that for anybody I know. So, Father, help us to gain you. Help us to believe you. Help us to walk with you. And in that, would you infuse life into dead men's bones? Would you infuse life? Would you leave a testimony of righteousness and true life, not just living? In Jesus' name, amen.